Hello, and welcome to Agents of Nonprofit. My name is Alexander Lapa, and I'm here to speak with everyday superheroes helping nonprofits using technology. Today, I'm joined by Julia Devine. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. So for those listeners who are hearing you for the very first time, could you explain a bit about who you are and what you do, also known as your superhero origin story? Absolutely. So my partner and I, Catalina, who can't be here today, uh, we have a consulting firm for nonprofits called Divine and Parker Consulting, which we founded about a year ago in February of 2022. And what we do is focus on technology support for nonprofits, helping them create their strategy for how they're going to use technology, also training their team members and supporting them in building out the technology infrastructure that they need to be successful, specifically in their fundraising and marketing programs. So the types of things that we typically work with are uh, CRMs, customer relationship management systems, or your donor database, as people refer to it. Um, but we can also help with other th- other tools as well, specifically email marketing. And we've been doing it for about a year. So that's where we are right now. So that's where you are, but I'm also curious to know where you came from. How is it that you came to start working with nonprofits? Sure. So Catalina and I both went to college in Washington, D.C. We both went to American University and we met, she's a couple years ahead of me. So we met when she was working in the nonprofit field and she actually hired me as her intern. Um, I was about 19 and I came in as an intern in a development office and Eventually, when I graduated from college, she hired me full-time as a grant writer. So I started in the grant writing field. Catalina was working a little bit more on the digital side of things, but we were working in donor databases, working in digital marketing to attract new donors to the organization. Uh, Eventually, Catalina moved on to work at a foundation, uh, so she moved over to the foundation side, and I moved up into being a development director at a nonprofit. So we were both working in fundraising and marketing roles for a couple of years. And um, we, you know, we loved fundraising. We loved working with donors. We loved being mission oriented. But what we were both finding is that there's a major gap at nonprofits uh, for their understanding of technology and how their staff applies technology to support donor needs, especially as more and more donors are converting from the traditional direct mail marketing to more of an online engagement with their favorite nonprofits and the nonprofits that we were working with both on the foundation side and on the nonprofit side just weren't keeping pace with technology. So both we had different personal things going on in our lives. Catalina was in Pittsburgh working at her foundation. I was deciding during the pandemic to go back to graduate school. Catalina was also in graduate school and I was going to pick out my Christmas tree, I remember, and Catalina texted me, and we'd been out of touch for a little while. And she said things we talked about in the past about technology and about nonprofits. Uh, what do you say about going in together on a side business? And I was in grad school, and I had just taken leave from my job, so I was looking for something to do on the side. And it worked out. We had one client who was looking for a little bit of support finding a CRM, and we just took that on just on the side. And we started talking to um, the technology company that we were, the the CRM, it was Virtuous, was the CRM. And we started talking to them and they said, oh, we have many outside partners who help support nonprofits and using technology because 
these um, software companies also acknowledge that there's a gap when they sell their software to nonprofits. There's just not enough know-how internally to use these technologies uh, and leverage them to the best of their ability. So we started to realize that there was actually a market for this that we could fill. And uh, so over the last year, we've reached out to different nonprofits. We've joined different consulting forums. And um, we've, we know it's difficult to find nonprofits and difficult also to explain to them what they need. A lot of them are still working with paper and pen. They've got filing cabinets down the hall filled with files on donors going back to the 70s. So it, so there's a long way behind where a for-profit company would be, for instance, with automation and marketing. Um, so we're really trying to bridge that gap. And uh, we've been doing it for a year now. So it's it's really grown more than we expected it to. We really just thought this would be a side job. But our goal this year and what we've actually started to do is both go full-time at the company. So it's grown much quicker than we expected. And we're really excited. That is awesome. And I mean, technology and nonprofits are the two Venn diagram or those two circles of a Venn diagram that I love the most. So that's that's really awesome to hear that you're able to help nonprofits because you're totally right. Um, there are too many of them, unfortunately, that are still using pen and paper or Excel or a combination or just systems that don't quite work. And then they lack the the confidence to move to a new technology or even a technology that's been around for quite a while. So you offering mm-hmm. them that kind of guidance is is wonderful. And I noticed you mentioned the the virtuous CRM, but I imagine there are other CRMs you could recommend based on the client's needs, or do you normally find that the best fit tends to be virtuous? Yeah, so typically when we started out, the first thing that we actually did was we scheduled demos with every single CRM that we could find online. So we knew about a couple um, that we'd used at past organizations. Obviously, I know you work with Salesforce specifically. Um, we tried to reach out to CRMs that are on the small to mid-sized organization level. And we did demos with them. We talked to them about what partnership programs they had available for outside support for nonprofits. Um, we're also, we only work with nonprofits. So I know some consultants will do both. But we were specifically focused on CRMs that had been designed originally for nonprofit fundraising and marketing. We found that we liked Virtuous a lot. And we also really like Every Action, which is another CRM that's actually a Bonterra product. I'm sure people have heard of Bonterra. They've bought up quite a few nonprofit solutions in the last couple of years. They bought Network for Good, a couple others that they own. So, so they really have a very nice suite of tools and uh, they're really trying to be the enterprise, I think, level CRM for nonprofits. And what we've been recommending, especially for newer nonprofits that don't already have systems in place, is that they go with an all-in-one solution. Um, this isn't the case every time because sometimes they have specific needs for technology, like they need a really robust volunteer management program. Um, or things like that. But if they are just looking for something that handles their constituents through the donor journey from entry point on the website or through mail, and they can send emails to them all from one system, we've been finding that that is the ticket to creating an easy experience, especially when it's a smaller development team, smaller marketing team, or they even have volunteers working at the organization. Because if you have multiple platforms, we have seen this successfully as well 
We've seen where there's MailChimp and they're working with Bloomerang as the CRM and MailChimp as the email marketing program. It works, but there are some glitches with the integrations and things like that that just make it a little bit more daunting and more challenging for internal staff to handle. So our three favorites right now are Virtuous and Every Action for mid-size to large organizations, Every Action probably being the best for the largest clients. And then for small clients who are looking for an all-in-one solution, we recommend Keela, uh, which is actually a Canadian CRM. They're pretty new. They've been around since 2013. And um, they're just, they're an underdog, but they're really excellent. And they they do a great job. They have a lot of automation, email marketing, different workflows, grants and volunteer management. So we really like to see these all-in-one solutions just because nonprofits who are strapped for time and for bandwidth, they can get a lot done without having to set up four or five different platforms and then manage integrations between them. So right now, those are our favorites, and we do have partnerships with all of them. There is a huge undertaking shifting from paper and Excel to a CRM. And I mean, you're right, having to learn not just the CRM, but a separate, let's say, marketing cloud type of experience or newsletter or campaign manager. If these are different systems, I mean, you're just amplifying and complexifying that change versus mm-hmm. having that all-in-one CRM that does all of this together and does it you know, relatively well in a very cohesive manner is definitely something that nonprofits, especially on the smaller and the medium size, should consider just to make their life yeah. easier and still retain a lot of value. So I do agree. And I was actually lucky enough to be able to interview uh, Eric Tomales from Virtuous back in December. And I was really impressed with the overall CRM and, and the capabilities of it. So even though I do come from the Salesforce world, it, it isn't the right fit for everybody. Uh, you have to make sure that your technology will match the skill level and the yeah. interest level and the capacity of a nonprofit. And sometimes it works and sometimes it, it's not. So, And that's, that's what we're finding too, is at first we thought we would just come in and we would help nonprofits set up their new system and that would be that we'd be on our way. But what we're finding is that a lot more, especially for a nonprofit where the tech savvy is just not going to be there because these are mission oriented people, they care mostly, you know, for, first and foremost about their program work and the communities that they're serving and the, the issues that they're working on. And it's really hard to expect them to also be able to just naturally adopt fundraising and marketing tactics and then the technology infrastructure on top of that. Uh, It's a really big ask, but the ones that aren't doing it are finding that they just can't keep pace with organizations that are able to run really powerful peer-to-peer campaigns using social media and using email and using their websites. So what we're finding is that it's not just doing the project of setting up the technology, but that what has to come with it is a strategy that we're basing the technology build on or the migration on what they're trying to achieve because that influences the type of CRM that we'll recommend. And then also what kind of training they're going to need to make sure that when our project is done and we step away, they're not going to feel lost and confused in their new system because that can lead to all kinds of terrible problems if they don't feel confident in continuing to communicate with their donors and their volunteers and their supporters through that new CRM. So we, um, we've we actually started offering a strategy call first where we come up with 
the goals for the new the new migration or if they're already in the system assessing what do you really need this system for what kinds of tools are you using um and all kinds of questions start to come up as we as we ask those questions more questions arise because people will say in these meetings well we we need a tool that does this and we need a tool that does that and it turns out that the CRM that they have actually offers those tools they just never knew about them so bringing them to different clarity points on what they're looking for, what they already have, if they're paying for things that they've just never used and they're never going to use, we try to help them get rid of those things as well. And then training, because that that's really important to empower them. We have had conversations with quite a few nonprofits that are afraid to bring in outside support because they've had bad experiences with contractors that have come in and set up a very complicated system that they got handcuffed to, and then they don't know how to get out of it without that contractor's help. And we really don't want to create this negative hostage situation that some of these people describe. We want them to be able to fly with or without us once it's set up and in place and have them feel like they got the training, they have the strategy, and they feel really confident to use that technology. And, and then if they need us down the road for something else, we can come back and help them, but they'll have a positive a positive experience the, the initial time around and they won't feel like, oh my God, what did we get into? I know there are a bunch of services that you provide, strategy and training you mentioned too already. I, I want to go a bit further into that, but before we do, I was just curious to know, because you've talked a lot about the size of the nonprofit you normally work with, the small and the medium. Is there other criteria or other factors that a nonprofit would consider before working with you? like, Or to ask the question in a different way, who is your ideal client? So we've really been just so fortunate to work with so many different types of nonprofits in the last year that we really never, when we first sat down and said, what is our ideal client? We probably never would have thought of the missions that we've come to work with. But we typically, our backgrounds are with public policy, education and research nonprofits, advocacy nonprofits. So anyone who's running an email marketing campaigns to contact their constituents, ask them to take action or reach out to an elected official. We're very um, confident working in those with those types of nonprofits that are issue-based. We also work with a lot of education and research organizations. We have a rare disease nonprofit that we work with. They're doing such wonderful work um, spreading the word and getting funding for clinical trials for the disease that they're working on. Um, so anyone that really falls into these health and human services, these education, research, and public policy-oriented nonprofits, that's the ones that we have the most experience with. It is important when we come and we have an initial call with clients to understand the makeup of their team because a team that has one full-time staff member and a couple volunteers is going to have very different needs from a nonprofit that has a 12-person development team and they all want training in the CRM and they all do different things in the CRM, that is going to change our approach a lot compared to that one-man show who maybe has a couple of volunteers or an intern that helps him on the weekends. So we work with both. It is just going to be a different approach for each type of nonprofit because uh, a large team is going to need a very different kind of support. They're going to have a lot more formalized processes. They're going to have a lot more niche 
job descriptions that are going to need different support than someone who is doing everything all by themselves. So let's jump in a little bit then to those services. And we'll start with strategy first. How do you normally assess a nonprofit? Let's say, for example, you know, you find you're a good match both ways. And now you're, you're in day one. You said you talked a bit about you know, looking at the individual members of the team to see what their skill set is, what they have. What other kinds of steps do you go through or do you have a checklist kind of thing to figure out, okay, where are they today? And then where do they want to be in, in the future? Mm-hmm. So it's usually done in one to two phone calls uh, or Zoom calls, depending on what we learned in the initial discovery call and what we still want to know. But we sort of start, we call it an audit or an assessment, but what we're really doing is rooting out everything that's currently in place. And if that's a five-year nonprofit or someone that's been around for 40 years, the first thing we're hunting down is usually subscriptions to services or to other technologies and finding out what do you have in place? What what did you subscribe to 10 years ago that is not even, you're still paying for it, but you're not even using it. And we try to paint a picture of what they currently have in their technology tool set. And then what we do is we look at those services that they're paying for, and we match that up with what they've told us that they want to have. And what you end up finding, as I think I mentioned earlier, is that sometimes they're paying for databases or tools or services that do the same thing. And they just didn't know that one of the tools that they were using actually had some other features and they don't need to be paying for two. So we try to help them simplify and consolidate their tool set first by identifying those issues and saying, well, we really don't need four different databases running concurrently here. We probably just need one, maybe two, if you have a specific reason for having a volunteer database separate from the donor database. So we do that. And then the next thing we do is we start looking at what the donor journey or the journey map looks like right now for the organization. So I usually go in and I make a donation on their website just to see what happens. And then I sign up, I subscribe on their website. And what typically happens is nothing. (laughs) They either don't have a receding process in place, so I don't receive a confirmation, or this has happened quite a few times now, you sign up on their website and on the back end, it probably goes into an Excel file somewhere or a Google Doc somewhere on someone's Google Drive of an employee who quit two years ago. And so all of those names of people signing up are not going anywhere. And so that's, that's the first simple test that I do to see what what's going on here. And I let them know, you know, when someone signs up on your website, nothing happens. They don't receive an email. They don't go into your database we need to figure out why that's not really connected. And it's not its not anyone's fault that that happens. It's just, it's set up. It looks like it works on the website, but the natural entropy of, of any department, especially with high turnover in development offices, is that little things like that just get overlooked because no one knows it's a problem. Of course, that's a huge problem because if people aren't getting into your database, they're not going to get cultivated. And if they're not getting cultivated, then you're not going to be getting a second gift from them. So we really start with the simple, basic questions that no one is thinking about because they're always focusing on the big campaigns, the urgent things that are coming up, the natural things that any development department will be focusing on. 
we try to get them to look at it in a different way and go back to the basics as if they were setting up their program for the first time. And we start to discover someone called them digital dust bunnies. And uh, we, we kind of find these dust bunnies and we, we dust everything off and we say, okay, let's start from scratch. Let's make sure these things are integrated properly and that the names are coming in properly. And from there, we start to build out what we want the donor journey to look like. And that's where a lot of these CRMs use automation to automatically send welcome emails or thank you emails or reminders to renew their donation. And all of this can be done set up once automatically in a workflow, and then it can be set and forgotten about for a while. But you know that your database is doing that work for you of welcoming people into the organization and cultivating them into larger, more sustaining donors. I love that expression, digital dust bunny. I might, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll might give you credit for it, but I might uh, copy it from you. Yeah, no, it's great. Also, I, I love the idea of doing that assessment to figure out what kind of subscriptions or monthly packages they already have. Because even me at a, at a personal level, it can be very tempting to sign up for something, you know, some trial somewhere in some app, even on your phone, and then you forget about it. And then, you know, X months later, you're like, hey, wait a minute, how come mm -hmm. I'm still paying for this trial? And yep. you just don't realize it. So that kind of assessment to figure out, you know, what actually do you have and making sure you maybe you're not necessarily look at the financial statements of the, but at least the idea of verifying what you actually do have to see that Nothing is there that shouldn't be there. Yep. And I think that's really important from a cost perspective too, because every nonprofit wants to keep their development budget low, but they also want to keep all program costs as low as they can. Naturally, they're, they're nonprofit organizations. So if they're paying for things that they're not using, you know, they, they're running up these costs and then they look at a new CRM that maybe is more expensive than the one they have currently. But if we can find them that cost savings up front and say, let's cancel this $5,000 program, let's cancel this $7,000 program, we just came up with $12,000 that they can now apply to that new CRM that does everything they want, rather than these other smaller programs, which look cheaper, but they're really not getting them where they want to be. So once that assessment is complete, you have a pretty good idea of what they do have. What would be some of the steps? And of course, I know it's based on where they want to go, but you know, what are some commonalities that you've seen in terms of next steps to get them to their end state, their future beautiful end state? So it depends mostly if we're working with a client that is moving to a new CRM or getting a CRM for the first time, or uh, what we more commonly see as being partners for Virtuous and for every action is that we have clients who've been using a CRM for a couple of months or a year or more, and they're just not sure where they're going. They, when they set it up, uh, a very common thing that happens is that someone in the organization will spearhead the migration to the new CRM. Uh, we see a lot of people leaving BlackBot, the older CRMs, and moving over to I think Virtuous and EA will tell you that they're specifically trying to capture those audiences, people who are not satisfied with some of the older non older CRMs. Um, but what, what we see happen is that someone in the organization said, we need to move, they organize the whole process, and then they leave, they quit. They move to a different job, they, they get a new opportunity. 
And now the organization has this CRM and that's great, but they don't know, they don't really know what the strategy was behind why they got this new CRM. And so typically when we come in, and that's the case a lot of the time is they've they've had it for a year and they're like, we're just not satisfied. We don't think that it does a good job. We don't, but, and that's usually not true. It's just that they don't know what it can do because they weren't there for that initial demo. They weren't there for that sales process. They maybe they're a new, a new staff member who's only been six months. And at that point we say, okay, let's refresh. We can get them a new demo with virtuous, or we can come in and, and look at what they've got set up. And then we just come up with, with a plan. So a lot of people want automations like I mentioned before. So we'll help them guide them in writing the copy and guiding them in what kind of task management needs to be built into those workflows. So in Virtuous, they have something called the donor lifecycle. And what that does is it will flag donors as they move into different donor categories. So if a new donor comes into the system, it's their first gift, the system will flag them. It'll add a tag to their name that says new donor. This is the kind of system that we would build out for a client. And we've been doing this for quite a few lately. It'll tag them. It'll say, thank you for your first gift. It'll send a follow-up email. And then the system can assign perhaps the major gift officer or the development coordinator to make a phone call to that donor or to say thank you to that donor with a personalized card. And so you change those tasks based on the type of donor they are. The system, what's really great is it can sort, it can query based on gift amount or the number of gifts. So if someone comes in and makes a $1,000 donation, the system will catch that right away. And the system will say, it'll notify the person that you've set it up to notify, hey, a $1,000 gift just came in. We need to research this person. And then the system, if we set it up in such a way, it can add a tag we're at a task and that will notify the prospect researcher or the development manager, whoever is assigned to research new prospects. And we'll say, hey, we need to look into this person because they just showed us by raising their hand and giving this $1,000 gift that they are very interested in our mission. And if they could give $1,000, maybe they'd be interested in giving more. Maybe they'd be interested in funding our end of year event or things like that. So by setting up this system based on these certain criteria and building out that donor life cycle, you create a pipeline in the database that is dynamic and it's very smart. Uh, and you don't have to go digging through the database yourself to find the, um, the donors that you think are going to be your next major givers. So what we would do is we would set up um, a, just a project-based project based pro uh, contract proposal and say, okay, we're going to build these three workflows. We're going to help you write the copy. We'll have a certain review session. And then we like to build in some trainings around those workflows as well so that everyone who's using them is going to feel confident if they want to make a change in six months that they can go in and they know what to do. So that's how we work. Projects usually take about six weeks, depending on the scope and the size of the organization. Another thing that we've been offering because people have been asking for it is just five, 10, 15 hour a month retainers where we are a sometimes team member. We come in once a month for a strategy call. We talk to them about what they're doing in the database. We train them if they're like, hey, I really want to learn about every actions 
major gift plan or planned giving program. And we set some time aside and we train them. And then we talk to them about how that might work into their overall fundraising strategy and apply that technology to their strategy. So um, those are some of the ways that we've been working with nonprofits that we're finding are very successful. It's amazing how powerful automation can be that <clears throat> once you set up the process, you know, whether you email, notify, put them in a pipeline, like the system just does it and it does it flawlessly. You know, there's no data entry errors. There's no timeout issues yeah. and things just work. And it allows nonprofits to focus on the things that they have to focus on their mission and, and the connection and the engagement and not about the, the manual administrative stuff that the system should be taking care of. And that's one of the biggest advantages of moving to these kinds of CRMs is leveraging that kind of power, those kinds of workflows. Yep, absolutely. I mean, for a small team, it's really like adding a part-time employee. Absolutely. So let's shift then to training because you mentioned a bit about training. And I know we talked pre-show about a statistic you shared with me that the average developer at a nonprofit has an 18-month turnover. So I'm curious to know in terms of the training perspective, how do you support that? Like, you know, if you know that this is going to happen, you know, in 18 months isn't that long, obviously, you know, by the time you get really familiar with the system and the processes and maybe make some decisions, then you're almost gone. From a training perspective, how do you address that and mitigate that kind of uh, issue? We have been talking to our nonprofits that we work with about the need for documentation. Um, a lot of them are working on Google Drive. They have shared drives. And the ones that are most successful that have the best functioning databases, CRMs, are the ones that have strict documentation for how the CRM should be used and what information needs to be entered at which points in the process. The ones that enforce that early and make sure that their team members are onboarded to understand how they should be using the database, have the best chance of having that institutional knowledge stay, even when they're having turnover in their development teams. Uh, so we've been working on different formats of a development operations guide that we provide as we work through the project. We document everything that we do. So if we set up an automation and we will put the goals of the automation at the top of the page and just in a Word document or a Google document. You say, this is what this was set up to do. Here are step-by-step -step instructions for how, what we did and how to edit it if you need to make a change. And then here are some links to some help articles provided by the software company that will guide you if you need to troubleshoot. It's not complicated. It's really simple. It's just leaving a paper trail of what we did and why. And we're recommending to nonprofits that they include some of these documents in their onboarding process when they bring in a new grant writer, when they bring in a new development manager, even if, especially if they're bringing in a new development director, you want to have those documents ready and you want to have a training process in place. And we, sometimes they'll bring us in and that's part of our retainer. They say, hey, we just hired a new major gift officer. Can you please just devote three hours of your retainer this month? Let's say we're, we have a 10-hour retainer. Can you just give them three training sessions and walk them through everything in the database that they need to know in order to be successful in, as a major gift officer? So we've done that and we teach them in every action. They have a very cool major gift portfolio program that you can use. 
And we find that it just completely transforms that person's experience because on the flip side, I when I worked on the nonprofit side, we had a one nonprofit, we had Marketo. And I was, I had just become development director and I had no experience at the time with email marketing. And I don't know if you're probably familiar with Marketo, but it's, it's very complicated and fancy and it's, it's an excellent program, but the one person in the organization who knew how to use it quit and did not even leave the passwords. They were the only person in the organization who had used it and no one else had ever gone near it because it seemed so complicated and difficult and just not part of their job. And it was a $70,000 program and no one could access it for like six weeks until we were able to get in touch with the customer success manager at the company and get the passwords changed. So that for a nonprofit is, is a terrible waste of money for those six weeks that no one was using that system, not to mention all the emails that couldn't go out because there was no backup plan in place when that person walked out the door. You know, you hope your employees will stay forever, but if 18 months is the average, you need to have a plan. It's critical that you have documentation, you know what the passwords are. And that seems so simple. Of course, we know the passwords, but are you sure? Are you sure if that person left, you would know how to access that system with confidence? Uh, and if not, then then you need to figure out a, a plan for that because it happens more often than you think. And I, I think sometimes people might be embarrassed to admit that, but I was terribly embarrassed when that happened with Marketo. So since then, I always advocate for having documentation, knowing the passwords, knowing the rules of the system, so that, uh, and always having people cross-trained. So not just having the major gift officer trained on how to use the major gift tools, but having the grant writer and the prospect researcher and the development manager also trained so that there's always a backup in case someone else needs to get into the database to work on work on those records. Those are awesome recommendations. And yeah, Mercado was very popular back in the day. I'm not so sure anymore, but I'm not really in the that aspect too much. So maybe it is popular, but I remember hearing about it quite a few years ago and I haven't heard much news about it recently. I don't recommend it for nonprofits <laughs> anymore because after that that situation I got burned, but I'm sure it is a good program. Yeah, I don't want to knock it either. I, I got the impression as well, it's more for for-profit businesses, less yeah. so for the nonprofit world. Yeah. In terms of the updating the documents, I love the fact that you added that not only do you have the documentation, but it's also part of the onboarding process. Is there also a plan you put in place to keep those documents live and up to date? Because the one thing that could be thorn in this particular idea is that you write the documents and it's great and it's accurate on the day that you release it. But then fast right. forward six months or a year from now, and no one has touched it since, and then it becomes stale, or there's another document right. that kind of is version two, but it isn't part of version one, and that's somewhere else. So is there a strategy you have in place, or do you put a strategy in place or a plan in place to make sure that the documents that you deliver remain current? So we've been playing, that. that is a difficult question, because when there is turnover and there, you know, there are different documents flying around that is difficult. What I've seen is that a certain department, and it's usually HR or accounting or administrative department, not even necessarily a development department, but there's a certain department that has ownership for those documents. And you have sign-off on revisions of them. And then a new document is, is released whenever a change is made. What we've been playing with, implementing with our clients, is this sort of monthly diagnostics run, where which it applies to the documentation, but 
more so to the actual application. So for the donor journey, for instance, we've been saying once a month, someone needs to test the donor journey. Someone in the organization needs to be responsible first of every month, make a $5 donation and make sure that it runs properly, that you don't get an error, that the emails didn't stop working, that the automation is not messed up in some way. So having that monthly check-in in place to mitigate any issues where where something might have gotten broken, someone might have pressed the wrong button or broken a link, et cetera. Uh, and in that process, we're also recommending, yeah, that those documents are reviewed. So it can be, it is an added step. And we recommend having, if you have an, an administrator, an executive assistant or HR, someone who's outside of the department, sort of auditing that and being accountable for running those tests, that's, it seems to work better than just saying, oh, yeah, 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 I tested every once in a while, I'm the development director. Uh, having that outside person with the accountability can really help. And our HR is also, I find, just the most organized department usually. So with documentation and paperwork and keeping that up to date in their onboarding process has been my recommendation. But it is it is difficult because teams change and documents get lost. And uh, the other thing you can do is videos. There can be onboarding videos that you update every six months. Um, I've seen that work well. And on a lot of the uh, CRMs also provide, um, they have like Virtuous has its own academy and it's basically a training, free training videos you can work through on each section, uh, which we recommend just as a quick overview when people are learning a new section of the database. And those are always helpful refreshers when onboarding new new employees. The video is a tricky one, just to pick at it for a second, because it's great in terms of engagement. If you're doing it every six months, like you mentioned, if one thing changes, then, yep. then that video becomes obsolete and then you know, you, you don't want to re-record the entire video because one thing yeah. changed. So there's a balance between the benefits and the, I, we won't get into the details of that, but I just wanted to pick that one thing up. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, well, and I, <laughs> I would say, you know, the best case scenario is that you either have someone in the team who's the, the champion of the database and hopefully they stay or what people do when they have the budget, like we said, is they just keep us on a very small retainer, maybe as small as just five hours a month. And if they, whenever they have a new person come on board, they just call us in to do a training and then we can go through because we were there when everything was set up and we have that institutional knowledge and we're not quitting on them. So they, they sort of can bank with us some of that institutional knowledge and we can help them retain that with new clients. The other thing you mentioned was passwords. And obviously I'm sure you don't advocate for putting passwords on a post-it note uh, on your monitor. <laughs> I know. So do you no. do you go the opposite way? Do you recommend like a password manager or some other kind of secure process to make sure that passwords are retained somewhere and people have access to them or the right people yep. have access to them? Yep. So the best organization that I worked with, there was an IT person. She was wonderful and she would come around every 30 or 90 days and she we had to all change our passwords and she worked with us on that. But she also was the the keeper of the keys, the person that had all of them. And I, I don't actually know what her internal process was, but I'm sure it was great because she was really a stickler. Uh, but yeah, not just having them all in an Excel sheet that 20 people have access to, but definitely having a process for every 90 days, these need to be changed. Changing them when people leave the organization is something that I don't think happens enough. 
there's plenty of times I go into when I'm granted temporary access to CRMs and I see that staff members who they told me have not been there for two years still have of admin access to the database, that's a big no-no. So you definitely want to have that process built in as well and have one person who's, you know, if it's HR, if it's IT, if it's admin, who has those stored in a secure way. Um, but anytime you get a new subscription, that person needs to have those passwords and they need to be able to access it when uh, whoever, you know, usually it's whoever's managing your email server. If you have this is for organizations that maybe have 15, 30, 40 employees, and they're responsible for creating new emails and such. You want that person outside the department to have access to everything. I wanted to point out that even though it, it sounds more secure, it actually isn't changing your password every so often. It's better to have one strong password and it doesn't change rather than having to come up with a clever way of creating new passwords in your head, unless you have maybe a oh. password generator. But it can just That's ends up it ends up confusing the people because you have so many passwords to remember, of course, in your life and your professional career. And if you have to keep on changing them, unless you have a generator doing it for you, it's very difficult as humans to come up with original ideas, uh, original yeah, passwords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's better to have like a very strong password that you use in separate systems. You don't want the same password in multiple systems, but then you don't need to change it unless there's a reason to do it, like there's a security breach or something to that effect. There's actually isn't yeah. a significant security advantage in just changing your password for the sake of changing your password. Oh, you know that I have not heard before, but that actually does make a lot of sense. That's actually smart. And then you mentioned the onboarding process and you're right. Once the user, thinking about a user in a system, but once an employee leaves a nonprofit and they are a user in a system, you definitely want to turn off their user. And that's part of the offboarding process. Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, not enough organizations have that offboarding process. They have the onboarding, they just miss the offboarding. Yep. Yep. And that's all to protect donor data and donor integrity and, and things of, of that nature, which donors will really appreciate. Not that, of course, you trust your employees past and present, but you don't want their donor data being accessible to people who are no longer with the organization. Absolutely. So the third service you offer then to change gears to the third one is support. And I picked up a question you mentioned earlier in terms of certain nonprofits have this certain resistance to or fear about an outside source coming in and offering support. And I'm curious to know, you know, how do you overcome that fear? How do you come in saying, you know, don't worry, we got this, you can trust us kind of thing? Right. Yeah. So it, again, it's having a written plan up front. And so we not, we flow between the three strategy, training and support. So we don't just come in and say, yeah, yeah, we'll build that for you. I'll let you know when it's done because you're not building a rapport. You're not gaining trust and you're not being transparent if you do it that way. So you want to sit down with them, talk about their goals, come up with a strategy, write it down so they can see what your steps are going to be. And then say, you know, here's what I'm going to do. Tell them what you're going to do, do it, and then tell them what you did. And so I like to have training sessions or review sessions on either side of it. And I think that helps because they they know what they need and they know what their capacity is. And, and a lot of times it could be something as simple as cleaning up duplicate records. And that is a big problem in databases as well. Virtuous and every action both have very nice data health tools that you can use and, and it matches records that have the same email address or the same home address, and it will help you catch those duplicates. But not everyone, especially smaller teams, has the time to go through 
And, you know, you have to do some manual review of them because each donor has a specific case. So we can help with things like that. And um, the workflows are, are things that people usually want help with. Even just a lot of times they'll say, we really want to work with you on this process. We want to be involved at each step. We want to understand what you're doing. We just want you as an expert to come in and check us and hold us accountable and make sure that we're making the right decisions along the way. So, and we love that. We prefer that the client be involved and engaged, but typically at least I'll have check-ins. If it's a longer project, we try to check in at least once a month, if not two weeks. And definitely we break up the project into phases. So um, if the first phase is coming up with the data map and the strategy, we, at the end of that, we say, okay, here's what we got done so far. Here's what's next. I like to send out a monthly agenda of what we're working on for the month. And then as we work through, I bring them along so that at the end, we can go back to that original strategy document and we can basically check it off point by point. We achieved this, then that led us to this. And then finally, we have this launch stage and then we train them on it. And my favorite thing to do is to have them share their screen with me. And I say, okay, now you drive. You're going to walk me through everything that we just did. And you're going to click on the buttons and you're going to find where the queries are and you're going to find where the edit button is so that you feel confident, but you have me here to ask questions while you're walking through. And that way they they don't feel like after the project is closed, oh my God, we don't know. We don't know anything. They feel confident. Uh, and of course, we're always on hand if they have questions. Yeah, people don't learn by watching. They learn by doing themselves. So yep. going through that exercise is a key element of, of good training. So you mentioned the organization, Divine Parker, is about a year and a half old. I'm curious to know, you know what would you see for your for your team in a few years from now? What is the, you know, if there's any kind of upcoming product or service you're offering or, you know, what would you like to see yourself and yourselves in a few years time from now? <laughs> well, I guess we're even, I mean, a year, a little more than a year in, I mean, neither of us thought we'd be doing this full time, but now that we are, we've been listening to a lot of our clients and the people that we're speaking with about future projects. And we are trying to develop more training. We think that is really key. Uh, we're talking about doing not strategic planning training, but strategic technology trainings where we have a set package of five to 10 trainings and we work a team through each one, more like workshopping. And so we're not coming in and doing a massive project for them, but we're just getting them to think about this kind of things that we've been talking about with what they're using and what they could be using, uh, how to consolidate, how to overcome data silos and how to create the optimal donor journey. So we are working on some strategy training packages. We also really want to work with nonprofits right in that post-live phase when they've right, just come into a new CRM that they selected, and now they need to be in setup, 30, 60, 90-day setup. And that's where uh, we think that our services are most helpful because if you can get them through, there's some checklists that Virtuous just gave us that the most successful clients achieve these five things in the first 30 days. And so if we can join them at that critical point and help them get things integrated onto their website, get their online giving set up, their payment processor set up, their email authenticated, and get all of those things done, they're going to be in great shape for the year ahead. Um, so we are really trying to fine tune our 
offerings to fill the specific gaps that the software companies and the nonprofits are both pointing to and saying, hey, this is where we're having trouble. This is where there's a divide that really needs to be overcome and trying to tailor our services to meet those specific needs. Awesome. Julia, this has been great. Where can people get in touch with you? So we do have a website, divineparker.com. You can also find myself, Julia Divine, or Catalina Parker on LinkedIn. We do have a scheduling link on our website, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can schedule a 15 or 30-minute call. We can talk through your issues. We can talk through your problems, your frustrations, and you can, you know, we hear all kinds of stories. If you just need help getting in touch with the right person or scheduling a demo, uh, we would be so happy to get you connected. And we also do, um, while we are technology agnostic and we'll always recommend to you the platform that we think is best for your needs, we do have certain discounts that we can offer you for the CRMs that we have partnerships with. So sometimes that really helps smaller nonprofits get their foot um, in the door with a new CRM just by making it a little bit more affordable. So we do have a lot of offerings and we uh, we really hope to hear from you. Find and uh, collect and discard those digital dust bunnies. Yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should add something to our website about digital dust bunnies. <laughs> I think that just says it all. It does. Julia, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, that's it for today. I'm Alexander Lapa, and I hope you join me again in the next Agents of Nonprofit.